Welcome back to another double bonus super episode. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we have an extremely special guest joining us all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is our own brother, Mr. Jamie Crane. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are y'all? We're doing fantastic. We're so happy to have you here uh, in talking to you because... uh, uh, well, we wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. Number one, you probably know more about pop culture <laughs> and uh, than just about anybody else, I think, that we could have on the show. Uh, and number two, besides our friend Eric Vespi, Quint over at AntitCoolNews.com, you might be the world's biggest Monster Squad fan, correct? Yes, yes, I am. Which, which might be an understatement because, <laughs> uh, listeners, if you are in a conversation with Jamie... It's almost a guaranteed thing, 100% of the time, that he's going to bring it back to Monster Squad. Yes. And so... Well, as you will find talking to Jamie here in a minute, everything can be brought back to Monster Squad because it's, like, it's yeah. like the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon I, of, I, of any movie. I, I could crown myself the king of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. I, I think you could. I'm not, I'm not just kidding about that. So it's like I want Jamie at every trivia night that we do for two reasons. Yeah. Number one, I don't, I don't know anything about sports, and he is like a literal walking That's sports true. encyclopedia. And then number two, your knowledge of like, oh, this guy was in that movie, who was in that guy with that movie, <laughs> who, was in, who was in Huey Lewis in the News. You know? yeah. So, yeah, so I, 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 I guess at some point I might drop some, some random uh, six degrees or, uh, throughout the episode. Um, yeah. We were sitting today being like, well, what, what should we do for our Patreon episode? And we both looked at each other and went, Monster Squad. And, and yeah. there's only one guy we got to have on, <laughs> yeah. and that's Jamie to have that. Well, so, Jamie, uh, I think it's safe to say that you've seen Monster Squad at least, like, four times, right? Probably six. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, be, uh, well, one of the things that whenever you, you, I think, know so much about pop culture because you watched so much TV and so many movies because part of having cystic fibrosis is you would have to take these prolonged breathing treatments yeah. where uh, you would have to wear some equipment and have like a, um, uh, basically like a funnel going in your mouth that was pumping stuff into uh, drugs into your lungs. So and while you were doing this, you were sitting around for like two hours at a time. So it was very easy for you to watch, uh, you know, like uh, t- 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 versions of Die Hard 2 that yeah. were taped off of TV <laughs> and uh, Commando and Interspace and all this other stuff. But Monster Squad was uh, seemed to be kind of like your movie, right? Pretty much. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember the first time I saw it, uh, I saw the box. It was a... Uh, Oh, what was the name of that video store? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, on the tip video of my t- Village. Yes. Uh, video yes. Village? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think I was like six, and I got it. My dad let me rent it, and uh, I say my dad, our dad. And uh, I watched it, and it scared me, um, but I watched it in the living room, and my mo- and mom and dad were walking through, and it got to the scene where um, I believe it was uh, Patrick's sister is uh, – getting undressed in her room and mom Uh. walked in and saw it and she was like, what is this filth? And (laughs) so so they stopped it and I never got to finish it until like two years later. Um, I think I was with my aunt and my cousin and we rented it and watched it at his house and I was hooked. And, uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, so (laughs) speaking of, um, video village, uh, there was nothing like being able to, I don't know, man, there was something about, movies that were coming out in the 1980s and their cover art. And yeah. there's just something so nostalgic about a VHS 
box with like awesome cover art on it that you really only found around then, like Drew Struzan type uh, artwork. Yes. Yeah. And um, anytime I think of uh, that, that video store, which actually oddly enough comes to mind for no reason every now and then, uh, I just always think about walking through there and seeing all of those cassette tape, uh, you know, cover art on the boxes. And, um, oh man. Yeah, I, I, too. I actually, uh, Kyle, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, when you were working at, um, major video, major video? Mm-hmm. they had, y'all had a copy of monster squad and VHS and I bought it. I think it was like $5. I think I remember and that. Yeah. We, the three of us went, I think it was 2011 to Austin to see yes. this. And I brought the VHS with me and I got, Oh, it was, uh, who signed it? Andre. Andre Carr, G- yeah. Um, Fred Decker, Fred Decker, uh, Ryan Lambert, uh, Shane Black. I got all their autographs on this VHS copy, and thankfully it came out on DVD because I probably would have like run the film out of the VHS. <laughs> but I, I still have it, and it's 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 uh, in a that, box somewhere. That is, I mean, like so, the Monster Squad is like a huge cult film. It's got a oh, massive yes, yes. Uh, following. I think that you might actually own a prized. Oh, piece yeah. of memorabilia, Monster Squad memorabilia, the VHS box that, with the original cover art yes. signed by all of the lead people involved in the it movie. It would be interesting to know how many copies of the VHS tape with the original box are still out there. Yeah, probably not very many. No. And it's funny because, you know, there was uh, our, our buddy, and I, I, I call him our buddy. I mean, we've, we've met him a couple times. Uh, Eric Vespi, who writes his Quint over at Ain't It Cool News. Uh, is kind of the reason that there is even a DVD copy of that or a Blu-ray copy of that movie to begin with, because he is the one that kind of reinvigorated, a personally reinvigorated yes. kind of the the Renaissance of Monster Squad. Yeah. I want to say that he is in Austin, Texas, and of course Austin is the home base for the Alamo Draft House. He's the guy who who got in touch with Fred Decker and set up the first ever Monster Squad screening, and I think it was something ridiculous. Like it sold out like in a fa- in like two or three minutes. It was like one of the biggest things they ever had, and then all of a sudden. Uh, you know, they, they scheduled one for a few years later, but because of the interest that was generated in that, they came out and said, uh, okay, we finally got to put this movie out on DVD and make a documentary about it. And the fallout from there, it's, it's become, it's a cult classic, but it's picking up a lot of steam as yeah. a, yes. as a favorite. Yeah. And I think there, as we'll find out, as we talk about it here, there's a lot of connections between Ghostbusters, but it was always the bridge between the Goonies and Ghostbusters, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I don't want to say that it stole anything from either of those two movies because it's wholly original and it owes a lot to I think like Universal Monster Pictures, yeah, Little and, Rascals, yeah, Little like Rascals that, yeah. Hammer Films. So it's it's a it's a conglomerate of all those things, but it's yeah. wholly original in, in what it is too. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, Patrick's mom, played by Mary Ellen Trainer, also was the mom in The Goonies. That's there right. Go. Yeah, I remember she was in Lethal Weapon as well. Lethal wasn't Weapon, she? Die Hard. Which, she was in. Were, she was the mom of the '80s. Lethal yeah. Weapon, also another Shane Black film. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, let's let's get to kind of the heart of the matter, Jimmy. Like, what is it that makes this one, your, if not your favorite, one of your favorite movies of all time? Uh, probably. I you know I grew up loving the Universal monsters, um, mm-hmm. and the Wolfman was always my favorite. And I I stand by this: the Wolfman in this film is the best depiction ever. Uh, yeah. Played by John Grease, who was uh, also played a werewolf in Fright Night, and was in Lost. Um, but it was uh, it just I don't know something about it. It's just it, that's that's the Wolfman. When you talk about all the Wolfmans in movie history, one of the best transformation scenes mm-hmm. ever is in the phone booth 
when he's on the phone with Patrick's dad. Yeah. And uh, he starts to transform. It's it's so easy. It's not like, you know, like heavy makeup and effects like the werewolf in uh, American Werewolf in London. It's kind of like these cuts away. Like the camera will pan around one side and they have this really brilliant cut to where he's like yeah. changing as the camera pans around. Yes. The effectiveness of the transformation isn't in all the special effects of seeing the act, you know, the, the transformation all done in the same shot. No, it's yeah. in those cuts. It's when he spins around and suddenly yeah. you see that something else has happened. And it's that editing plus yeah. the brilliant makeup effects. And, um... So this this screening that we got to go to to see like uh, um, the movie played with a big Q and A with uh, Fred Decker and Shane Black and some of the cast members out in Austin, um, you actually had the chance to ask a question of the guy who played the Wolfman. I can't I can't remember his name. Uh, but you asked him like if he had done any sort of like studying up on like what it would be like for someone to become a werewolf or whatever. And he actually took uh, took the question to um, to heart and said that he thought about. Uh, heroin addicts and things like that and people who are trying to go cold turkey and what that might look like and uh, it's I don't know it's just interesting to see that like an actor is going to go into a part uh, with that approach in a kids movie yeah um, and yes go ahead Jamie oh I was going to say um, uh, John Grease the actor when I asked him that question uh, they had like a break a little bit later I think it was I think it was before the film uh, we went down to get a drink and I was standing in line and I got my drink and I turned around and he was right next to me and he leaned over and took a sip of my drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like in shock. And so there's a picture somewhere, I think on out there in the internet of us standing next to yeah. each other and he's holding yeah. my drink. I was like, I, I remember that you just being like complete and total, like, you know, like oh, this guy oh, you've oh. watched yeah, so many times. And, and you know, he, I don't think he said a whole lot, but he, he could tell that you were a fan and he was really kind mm. of like put his arm around you and kind of brought you in for the picture. And yeah. Yeah. All, all you're the, really nice. All of the actors and Fred Decker and Shane Black were just super nice. Yeah. Who was the guy who played the, 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 the cool kid in the movie? Was it Rudy? Uh, Ryan Lambert. Ryan Lambert. Was, I remember he, he was on, um, Oh, what was that show? It came on Saturday mornings. <coughs> it was like a teenage uh, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saved yeah. by the Bell. No. no. Shit. Oh. Um, California Dreaming. No. I got, uh... Oh, I got in the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Come on, Jamie. <laughs> you got. What this. was the name well, of that show? Kids so, Incorporated. Yeah. Kids. Oh, Incorporated. with Fergie. That's yes. right. Kids Incorporated. Uh, so yeah, they were all just like so nice and so chill and everything, and um, and uh, I, yeah, I could definitely tell that uh. They, they knew that they were in the presence of, like, a diehard Monster Squad fan when they yeah. met you. Yeah. And uh, just, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They were a cool crew. Well, what else was it about Monster Squad that appealed to you, Jamie? I think I've always liked the idea of putting kids in adult situations that they find a kid way out of. Like yeah. the Goonies and, like, this film where you stick a bunch of 12- and 13-year-olds are being hunted down by these monsters and they can't turn to the adults but they have to do it themselves um that seemed to be a big theme in the 80s too uh of um movies with teenagers and young kids basically going on adventures and things like that and you don't see that nowadays and i really no, wish don't. that would come back yeah um, i think you know kids are too caught up in being 10 years old with a cell phone and social media you know when i was 10 years old I was out playing in the yard and wanting to chase monsters and things like that. But that was a big thing about the 80s that uh, it's just nostalgic. You won't see it again. 
the the effects, the special effects for the, all the monsters were great. Uh, Stan Winston, who of course did Aliens and uh, and I believe Predator as well. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, did a phenomenal job, and uh, it just had a great cast. And I don't know if I can really put my finger on one thing. It was just tons of things. It was just a it's a childhood memory that I'll always have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's a very well directed film. I don't think that oh, Fred yes. Decker gets enough gets enough credit for uh, for for what he did with this movie and what he did with his previous film, Night of the Creeps. Oh yes, which is kind of, which is uh, if you haven't seen it, is also a very fun film. That's a great uh, movie. I think that Monster Squad was like the 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 next step in seeing a director grow, and unfortunately, uh, you know, after that he did. Uh, RoboCop three, I think. Yeah. And uh, then I think he's he's been on a lot of projects since then. I know that he and Shane Black did a movie for Amazon or a TV show for Amazon Amazon that didn't get picked up. But yeah. they've always kind of worked together on stuff. But it's a real shame when you look at Monster Squad, you can see someone who could have been like the next big action director of yeah. the nineties. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, didn't get that opportunity, no. and that's a real shame. No, Jimmy. Yeah, you were talking about how uh, this is an edgy movie for an edgy kids movie that you just you don't get anymore. And um, there's nothing I think more ruthless than a grown man picking up like a five year old child, a five year old <laughs> girl by her face, lifting her off the ground and screaming in her face that she's a bitch. Yeah. yeah. So you see, like, uh, different uh, incarnations of Dracula throughout uh, the history of film. I don't think you ever got one quite as downright evil and mean as this. Yeah. I mean, this dude is ruthless. Yeah. it's One thing I really love about the movie is it looked like everything was the universal monster design, but appropriated for not just the modern era at the, of that time, but also like, it, this is how the makeup would have advanced, but also this is how the, how mean they would have been at that point too. You know, like the wolf man is definitely very aggressive. The, uh, gill man, which is kind of like their creature from the black lagoon mm-hmm. is much creepier than the creature of the black lagoon ever was. Yeah. Their Dracula was a, he was a late eighties Dracula. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He, he, he's, yeah. He's very elegant. He's a, he's a gentleman, but like, but he's, he's vicious too. Yeah, he's you vicious. Know? Yeah. I mean, but, it, but then, uh, you know, another actor and and makeup job uh another character for this movie that was just fantastic and was appropriate for the era was the uh, frankenstein's monster played by tom noonan yes yeah who was a very intense actor uh oh yes yes. he's a great uh great character actor and um what's funny too is uh another six degrees link here uh he he played the ripper in last action hero that's right was directed by i think it was john mctiernan uh-huh. I think so. Who also and written did Die Hard. Yes, and it was written by Shane Black. Shane Black, which had Richard Edlin and the yep. Eugene's dad. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you can link any movie in the eighties together. Back to Monster yeah. Squad. It yeah. all goes back. It all goes back. Um. So- so there's there's one thing I want to talk about real quick is um, when I, when we watched this movie as kids, there was one thing about it uh, with the mansion that Dracula is in always kind of stood out to be very Southern to me. Yeah, like a plantation. Yeah, yeah, like a plantation or something like that. And there's even like at one point, I think there's a stair, uh, like a staircase that you can only get to if you pull down the arm of the statue. And the statue is very clearly like someone from the Civil War, you know? And there's moss so, on the trees. There's moss on the trees. And I remember when we were at the screening at the Alamo Draft House, somebody asked them, Did, does this take place in New Orleans? And Shane Black and Fred Decker were like, well, we, we kind of wanted to put it in New Orleans, but we figured that'd be a little bit too on the nose. So where was it we wanted to put it in? And they thought about it for a minute and went, oh, yeah, that's right, Baton Rouge. And the three of us, the us three <laughs> a jackasses. like 300 people. Yeah, you heard us in the very back going like, yay! 
week has it finally confirmed that yeah. Monster Squad takes place in Baton Rouge with our beautiful drive-in theater in our yeah. rolling hills, you know, yeah, with everybody yeah, exactly. in jackets in the middle of October. Folks, it's October like 4th outside and I wore shorts. Yeah, but in, in like a theater of like 300 people of silence in the very yeah. back, you hear like, yeah! yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean... But uh, but to, to get around to something else, I was, wanted to put a, a, a kind of a attack on earlier is this movie has a very strong feeling to it. And I always felt it was like the Goonies and kind of its fun like level, but it was always a little bit more uh, serious and direct and maybe a little bit more uh, dangerous than something like the Goonies mm-hmm. was. I always yeah. felt in this movie that if one of these kids got like ripped in half by one of the monsters, it actually would have been appropriate. Yeah, yeah. You know, for the because you see Wolfman gets you know blown to pieces by a stick of dynamite right. and his body comes back together. But at all points in this movie, they were they able they were able to manage to give a, a feeling of threat the whole time. You know, like something could it, instantly. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but also the. Um, they really put a lot of adult situations in the hands of, of the kids. Right. And, you know, after the Wolfman is blown up, he comes back together because he wasn't shot or killed by Silver. And uh, he's down on the street beating up a bunch of cops. And Ryan Lambert pulls a gun out from one of the officers and puts a silver bullet in and shoots a gun. You wouldn't see that in a movie today. Yeah, no, and then wouldn't. the guy when he falls to the ground, he says thank you to the kid, which yes. just adds so much more. Like if you if you showed that movie to a really kid today motion. or whatever, they would be, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's other moments too that really uh, bring that sense of actual threat. Um, yeah, like a kid home. making bullets there in school. Yeah. <laughs> whenever whenever they're in the plantation, uh, Dracula goes and like opens up a closet or something, and there's three innocent like, <laughs> like young school girls. girls. Yeah, and he yeah. is abducted. Yeah, and he's abducted and. Locked in there, and that's a pretty. And it's there's no talk of it. There's no. It's just one shot where he's approaching them, and they start to cower as this like threatening grown man comes closer to them. Or sitting in and the treehouse with the binoculars, watching yeah, uh, Patrick's right? sister get there's, undressed. Yeah, there's um. I think it's. I can't remember which of the kids it is who's in the street at the end, and here come. Uh, Dracula's brides like approaching him, looking all sexy and everything. Like just the um. I don't know, man. The threat that they're putting that person in and what they're using to uh, attack him mentally with is just so... You don't see that. You wouldn't yeah. see that any time today. So this movie's... The edginess is something that... Uh, some of the dialogue it, as well. There's some... some uh, I guess oh, yeah. coarse language that you just would not hear today. There, there's some very colorful things that yeah. are said that for very good reason aren't said today by kids yeah. in movies. Yeah, I, I will say there's a lot of stuff that we're saying like, oh, you couldn't see that today. I'm kind of glad yeah, some yeah, of this yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. is not yeah, seen by kids yeah. today, you know, to a degree. But I'm also kind of glad that we were like the last generation yeah. that got to see this kind of stuff. So we can shake uh, our fingers at our kids and say, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> we got to say it. You didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, so, okay. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about how the germination of the movie with Fred Decker and how he was, in film school and always had this this movie in mind, but he went to do like Night of the Creeps and House, uh, and this was always sort of in the back of his mind, and then he finally did it. Uh, do I have the timeline on that right? Yeah, it was, well, House was first, and then he did Night of the Creeps, and then Monster Squad, and then RoboCop 3. Well, let me, let me go ahead and uh, I'll start on that, and you guys can take it from there. So, um, Fred Decker, the uh, director of the <clears throat> movie, has had had Monster Squad in the back of his mind since he was in film school. Uh, all of this information I'm getting from the special edition DVD, but they have an amazing behind-the-scenes documentary where they've gone and rounded up all the people from the movie and talked to them. It's uh, 
very, very, very well put together documentary. That, that, that DVD, uh, that, that DVD is a great DVD. Yeah, I'm a big fan of like special edition, like DVDs with all the goodies and you know special features on them and everything. And, and the this commentary is, is good too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is you know no exception. It's it's definitely up there. But um, he talks about how uh, he had always had the idea of Monster Squad in in his mind coming up through his childhood, then into film school, and then as he was making his other films, Night of the Creeps, and then House. Uh, which are just classic 80s, you know, horror, horror comedy, horror suspense uh, movies. And then finally got around to doing Monster Squad and um, enlisted the help of uh, Shane Black, who is now, I think, one of the most sought-after screenwriters in Hollywood. Yeah, he's had great success, too, and specifically uh, recently uh, with um, that was the, ni- the Nice Guys. Was that the movie? Yeah, Nice Guys came out this year. That's fantastic. If you haven't seen that, see that. And then, of course, uh, he made a billion dollars on Iron Man 3. Oh, yes. Which he, which he got because of his buddy, um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. helped him out with that. So, uh, yeah, Shane Black at one point in time was the highest paid screenwriter in all of Hollywood. Uh, you know, he did Lethal Weapon, uh, The uh, Last Boy Scout. The guy was – he's a fantastic writer. He's a fantastic filmmaker. I think he wrote uh, Predator, too. The original – no. I could be wrong. Well, well was he was in Predator. Predator. He's right. in Predator, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is, I mean, the careerist guy said. And then he's, he's had a movie that uh, not a lot of people have seen, but uh, really need to, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, yeah, that's a Which was yeah. fantastic yeah. film. So he's he's got, it's funny because his stuff is like, it's very kind of of the 90s when you when you see it, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the Nice Guys mm-hmm. felt like 90s movies. But they, and when I'm saying that, I'm, that is in my mind like a compliment. Like Nice Guys came out this last year and it's a very 90s movie in kind of its off-color, uh, you know, like a non-politically correct tone, mm-hmm. uh, which really give it a very distinct kind of, you know, throwback feel to it. So a few years ago, there was a lot of talk of a Monster Squad remake coming out. What do you guys know about that? Yeah, uh, so the executive producer, uh, Rob Cohen, who did the Fast and the Furious? Um, I think he did Dragon and Mummy. This is a pretty good uh, producer. Um, has really, I think, had the idea of trying to relaunch it, uh, the franchise, or at least do a remake. And you know, as a diehard fan, um, I just don't think it's a good idea because I don't think, like I was saying earlier, you can't sell this movie to a ten to thirteen year old today. And I think one of the problems that the original film had in its marketing and why it did not do well in the box office was pitching it to teenagers. Um, right. You know, teenagers kind of didn't want to see that stuff, but kids under 12 were too young. Kids over 12 were, you know, too old. Um, they were more interested in, uh, you know, the social things in the 1980s. Um, so, uh, you know, if they're going to do it, I have a feeling they're doing it strictly for money. And I don't want it to tarnish uh, the um, legacy that the film has because, unfortunately, um, people in Hollywood just don't come up with anything new. It seems like everybody has to remake something, and it really tarnishes the legacy of films. Um, And it's just, it's it's unfortunate. You know, I think a lot of those movies are done strictly for their paycheck. Um, They see dollar signs. Well, I think there's definitely interest in revisiting kind of uh, a young kids in a specific time period type show. We've seen recently the summer Stranger Things oh, yes, was yes. a huge hit, which kind of uh, it visited the kind of the formula that Monster Squad had to a degree. Uh, it was also the closest thing to Monster Squad I've ever seen. And yeah, I loved it. it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's very of a of a time and a place and everything. But uh, 
You know, it's funny because uh, the website ScreenRant.com did an interview with Shane Black recently and uh, actually asked him if he would like to do a sequel to Monster Squad. And he said, uh, and I quote, I'd love to revisit Monster Squad. I hope that someday at some point somebody says that it would be great. Uh, they have all these new Universal monsters. At some point, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein version. I wonder if there's room in Monster Squad for something like that. Yeah. Uh, then he'd say, the first thing I go to is the movie or the book, really, it, by Stephen King, which was about kids who fight monsters when they're young. And then as grownups, they're sort of beckoned and they have to return to the childhood uh, their childhood hometown. Mm-hmm. I don't know how a Monster Squad sequel would distance itself from that. So he says that there's some ideas that he has in his head what Monster Squad 2 could be. Yeah. Uh, I know that one of the cast members has passed away. Uh, the, yeah. the kid, Horace. Uh, yeah. That would be, I believe his name is Brett Shamley. Of course, he his legacy will live on having one of the best one-liners in a movie. Wolfman's <laughs> got nards. Absolutely. <laughs> Jimmy, would you would you prefer to see a Stranger Things style Netflix revival of Monster Squad, or would you want to see a straight up sequel to it, like Shane Black is talking about? Um, I don't think I would want to see a sequel. I think if they maybe a remake in in a Netflix style, uh, like a ten episode um, show. I yeah. wonder how it would be if you brought it into today instead of you know doing it back in the eighties. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a good question. If, I'd have to think about if, that. I think if anybody could make it work, it would be Netflix. Because oh, yes. Netflix doesn't hold back the way that a lot of other studios or writers or whatever hold back when it comes to like trying to keep things tame yeah, no, for no. today's use. Netflix, I think, uh, appreciates a child's menta- a younger movie viewer's mentality and knows that they can handle seeing and hearing certain things. I think, And I think that's... That's where, my, you know, Fred Decker and Shane Black probably got it, too, back in, back in the 80s when they wrote this. Um, we can have these kids being put in situations that are a little too grim for, uh, you know, a, for a movie. Um, Netflix just seems like they, they don't shy away from stuff like that. I think they get it. So I think if anybody was going to revisit Monster Squad, I think Netflix would be a good, a good place. I think Netflix, too, knows that there is a generation right now of people our age who desperately hold on to the 80s. And yeah. um, with Stranger Things, just uh, have done a phenomenal job of letting us kind of revisit our childhood. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I could see that there's, you know, every year around this time of year, October, you know, when we're recording this, you see all of a sudden Hocus Pocus becomes a huge thing again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And everybody wants to get back into, uh, you know, like, yeah, I, I see it screened everywhere. My wife, uh, we own it on VOD. She watches it over and over again. So what I'm getting to there is there's kind of a young place in people's heart for kind of like supernatural uh, adventure type stories yeah. that I, I could see, you know, Stranger Things has proven that there's absolutely an audience out there for that. So if Netflix isn't the suit to pick this up, it'd be really cool if like Amazon took it to counter Stranger Things, oh, yeah. you know, so because they already really have a connection somebody. with Shane Black and Fred Decker from their restaurant, the the Edge, that didn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, ultimately, it's just kind of like blue sky, pie in the sky, fan casting type stuff here. But I would love to see uh, you know them them take another crack at it because I think there's a lot of material here and it'd be worth a revisit. There really is. Yes. So. Monster Squad kind of came and went when it was when it was released, and it wasn't uh, until it had this sort of you know revival in the last ten years or so that people started talking about it again. Um, why do you guys think that it that it kind of came and went? Uh, in in movies that are very similar to it, things like um, The Goonies, which has never left, it's always been prevalent. Why, what did Monster Squad do that The Goonies didn't do, which made it kind of just disappear? I think that one of the big things 
that I think turned a lot of people off was some of the dialogue of the kids mm -hmm. um, and the situation. I think it tried to take serious adult elements and put them uh, in the hands of kids, and I just don't think it sold well. Um, yeah. And then I also think marketing it, uh, they struggled to find that audience uh, for the film at the time. Um, you know, and, and I guess maybe people just weren't into monsters. Uh, it seems like pirates um, seem to take off better than monsters. Yeah. You know, because people can look and say, well, pirates are real. Pirates are something that, you know, we can look back in history and see. And But there's no such thing as a werewolf or Frankenstein's monster, Gill Man or Dracula. You know, that's childish. Um, so I, I think that would be it. I think... I think it really struggled to find an audience, and eventually it just kind of fell down at hold and never quite was able to climb back out until um, people like me uh, and really started, you know, wanting that nostalgia and that cult classic to make a comeback. And finally, when all the right resources were put together, uh, they were able to get it on DVD, and and then everybody suddenly. Oh, that was my favorite movie. Every my favorite movie. Um, all these people came out of the woodworks uh, that remembered that film, and um, I, I think that, I think that would be it. I think part of the resurgence for it, uh, re the resurgence for it. I mean, we can directly trace that to the re to uh, Eric Vespi putting the the screening together at the Austin uh, the uh, the uh, Alamo Draft House. Yeah. But that, if you want to pull it back a little bit further. That probably came from the fact that the uh, World Wide Web was able to connect a lot of people who, through sites like Ain't It Cool News uh, that could talk about their love of films and films they remember from being a kid and kind of like this group nostalgia of talking about, hey, this thing was awesome. We know that Monster Squad had a much bigger life on – I think HBO was a, was a production partner in the, in the creation of this movie, weren't they? I know they're listed on Wikipedia. So, of course, it's playing on HBO all the time. It's the ultimate sleepover movie. Jamie, like you said, you bought the copy yeah. that we had at the video store uh -huh. uh, and, and watched it over and over. So it was definitely a, a movie rental. Uh, it's like the boy version of Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus is for young women. Monster Squad is for young boys. Yeah. So this is the kind of movie that kind of built its own cult up around it. It's the ultimate kind of like cult movie. And uh, I think eventually it got to a point where, you know, people like Eric could actually, you know, promote screenings and get out there. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's a very well shot film. Uh, I think the characters are a lot of fun and it moves along at a great pace and has a lot of action. And so it's something you can watch today. And, you know, if you're not into monsters and stuff like that, it's got a coherent story that you can follow. Yeah. So if you're trying to introduce it to one of your friends or something like that, this isn't like some other movie that you might put them down in front of and they'll just like tune out in a few minutes. It's entertaining and it can continue to, yeah. to, to keep watching. So yeah. it's the kind of movie that will be able to grow its audience, basically is what I'm trying to say. Yes. So. Something that I, I do miss, we're talking a, a lot about the things that make this this movie so special to us from a nostalgic standpoint. One of the things I really miss in movies that you don't see too much anymore is the rap song that includes the oh film's God. title <laughs> that plays over the closing credits. Yeah. And you don't see it anymore. And there is no better example of that in any movie ever made than in the monster squad. So you're telling me monster squad is better than any Will Smith song at the end of a movie. Yes. Hands down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not. The, the, the closing rap song is the biggest, most embarrassing thing uh, if you were dating someone in like the 90s that could ever happen because it, for, for those uh, listeners out there that are maybe a little bit too young, it was a big thing in the 80s and the 90s to have a rap group come out and write a rap song about the 
commercial movie you just saw with your date. So, so you're you trying to, to leave the theater, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have, you know, T-U-R-T-L-E, power is coming on. You kind of like are looking at the ground like, oh my God, or with the entire communal experience of everyone being embarrassed by what's going on right now as we're leaving the theater. Um, so yeah. it looks like the theme was... You know who did it? Who? Uh, I believe it was Michael Cimbello. Yeah. Who also did, I believe it was Maniac from Flashdance. What? What? I could be wrong. Nope, he did it. Monster Squad. He did Rock well, Until You Drop, and he did... Rock Until You Drop, that's just a okay. good song. That's just a great song. He did yeah. Rock Until You Drop. I'm not okay. sure who did the song at the end. No, no, he... Uh, so, but no, he, so if he also did the song from Flashdance, yeah. that's funny, because Irene Cara, who did What a Feeling from Flashdance, was one of the backup singers on the Ghostbusters song by... What's our guy who did Ghostbusters? Ray Parker Jr. Thank you. Yeah, Ray Parker Jr. Yeah. Look, it looks like, uh, Jamie, the guy you're talking about, Michael Cimbello, wrote the Monster Squad song along with Dick Rudolph. <laughs> and um, well, he, the name of the... I'm sorry? Yeah, uh, well, he wrote it. He also performed... Well, he performed Rock Until You Drop. But yeah. the end of the end song, what was that one? Uh, it's apparently performed by the Monster Squad. <laughs> so they may have just started this band just to uh, do that one song or whatever. But And folks, that has been Rap Recrap with the uh, Crane <laughs> Brothers. Right, Thank you yeah. for listening. Uh, next week we're going to talk about the uh, Purple Lamborghini from Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, we want to apologize everybody for not having anything better to do with their time. Yeah, look, we grew up on the streets, okay? Yeah. The streets of yeah, right. Quell Hollow Ridge, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so. so anyway... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I have. Uh, it's a, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great bit of nostalgia for myself, for you guys too. And then I think a lot of people, this, this particular movie just hits a certain spot in their, um, in it's, their it's, heart. it's a and modern it's, cult classic and I think it yeah. actually holds up over time. Oh, absolutely. This movie definitely holds up over time. I want to make another little, um, observation here too. This movie is incredibly well shot yeah. and incredibly scored. Mm-hmm. This movie has a really good score. It's incredibly well shot. It looks shot. great. It's, yeah, it's beautifully yeah. lit. Um, this is a very competently made film uh, on a technical level. So, Jamie, here's, here's I guess, my ultimate question. Uh, how old is your daughter going to be uh, when you introduce her to the Monster Squad? Um, you know, I'm probably going to wait till she's, like, maybe 10 to 12. Yeah. And it'll be, like, a, you know, Friday night... Daughter and dad sit down, movie watch time. I'm going to be like, hey, I want to show you this movie that I loved when I was a kid. We'll probably get 15 minutes into it, and she'll be like, dad, can I go do something else? <laughs> can, like, I can, can I watch Focus? Can I you know, do whatever you want. Can, can I watch Frozen for the fifth and five millionth time? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Kyle, what, what, is, uh, what does this movie mean to you? Monster Squad? Yeah. It means pizza rolls, it means a Ninja Turtles blanket, and it means uh, me in pajamas, and that's probably going to happen later tonight when I go home and watch it with my wife. Exactly. So. Yeah, it's, uh, I highly recommend it. I think it's, um, it's one that definitely holds up. And I think that's the thing that stands out to me about this movie, is that it hits on a lot of edgy levels that a kid's movie wouldn't like. The, the, the parents in it are going through a di- potential divorce, and they're yeah. talking about going to marriage counseling and all this, all these other things that kids' movies these days, and at the time, didn't touch on. I think that's the thing that stands out to me about this movie. It's, it's a kids' movie that just doesn't treat the viewers like idiots. There's also uh, a part in the film um, that discusses uh, the Holocaust. Um, that's the right. The yeah. German guy, they're at his house, and they're leaving, and he says, uh, I think it's Patrick says, man, you sure do know a lot about monsters. 
And he says, now that you mention it, I suppose I do. And he shuts the door, and on his wrist is um, a number for a concentration camp. And that's right. That's just something you wouldn't see in a movie yeah. like that. And they, they, they don't go back to it, and oh, they don't no. need to. If they don't need to, it's there to give the film that that edge and that weight. And Kyle, I think that's also something that gives, like you were saying, it has that uh, sense of threat in it. That um, it's just a mood that you can't really put your finger on. And I think it's little things like that. And yeah. it's um, and you know, you had the 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 father in it had his like uh, sidekick, the other cop or whatever, who's this lovable guy. You get to like him throughout the movie, and then he can't get out of the car at the end because Dracula has locked the car permanently with his powers. Of powers his yeah, yeah, right. And the guy blows up in the car. And um, there's also the talk of like going to marriage counseling and all this stuff. And those are things that kind of give this film the edge that it that it has that you're not. Uh, it, the things that kind of give this film that that weight and that sense of real threat. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's you, you don't just get these kids aren't just threatened by things like monsters coming after them. It's things like their family uh, potentially splitting. I think if if all these movies are kids that go to a high school, like Ghostbusters is the class clown that's goofing off that's really popular. I think The Goonies is the ADD kid that has to stay after and do math. But Monster <laughs> Squad is the kid smoking behind the bleachers at school. It's Rudy. It's Rudy. Yeah. So it's it's got a little bit more edge to it than these other movies. But uh, yeah, it definitely stands out. All right. Well, for Brady, this is and Jamie and Kyle, uh, we're here to remind you that death is but a door. Time a window. We'll be back. Creature from the black lagoon. There's no turning back. Gotta fight the fight. 